What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Bruise on the Balcony midweek show. We have a loaded show today, a double episode. I promised you guys I would get an extra long one in. Sorry there was no midweek show last week. I came down with the stomach flu on Monday night. It was the first time I had had the stomach flu, and I remember this distinctly. Since I was 14 years old, I was a freshman in high school. It's about this time of year, too. And I distinctly remember it being awful then, and it was every bit as awful uh, this time around. It frickin' sucked. Ask my girlfriend how big of a baby I was. It was the absolute worst. But I distinctly remember because it scarred me so bad. I remember uh, it was back in what would have had to have been 2009. Uh, I distinctly remember couldn't sleep because I was puking my guts out watching NFL Live. And they were talking about how historically good the Jets' defense were with uh, Darrell Revis and Mark Sanchez was the quarterback. Boy, times have changed since then, haven't they? So uh, we got some good stuff today. We're going to talk about what's going on with Aaron Rodgers because there's some things that I've noticed with him. He he's looked off, man. There's there's no no way around it. Aaron has looked a little bit off, so we'll get into that. And uh, probably the biggest NFL story of the last couple of weeks: the Patriots taping the Bengals. I got some takes on that. That's kind of a story that has developed. That was breaking while I was coming down with the flu. Uh, this most recent time, last Monday night, that broke. I also want to talk about Joe Burrow winning the Heisman and the quarterback prospects. Uh, We obviously don't cover much college football on here, but uh, I think this is relevant because these guys are going to be playing in the league next year. Joe Burrow, likely number one overall pick in the upcoming NFL draft. And then we got some other bit of news breaking. The Lions, they're going to run it back with Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia as the GM and head coach. They're going to give them one more year. Uh, and, and people are outraged about it. it it's a legitimate story. Uh, and we'll have to ask TJ about it on Sunday. I tweeted at him. <laughs> I don't think he has, I, I don't think he knows how to feel about it, which is kind of sums up Lions fans and their struggles. want to talk about Drew Brees' greatness. Another year, another Monday night record-breaking performance. Uh, and then lastly, we'll talk about the Pro Bowl rosters. No Thursday night game. Uh, we're moving into Saturdays, Saturday football games. We got three of them. I think the first one's going to be Texans-Bucks at uh, noon. I think the Bills play on Saturday as well. So no Thursday night football, therefore no picks to be given by the guys. So we'll just get into the show. But first, got to give a shout-out to our sponsors, Cafe Telegraph, who hosts our live show every Sunday morning. Christian and the guys there serve up uh, some of the best par-fried wings you can get anywhere, the best smoked meats in town. Uh, it's, it's a great time, great TVs, great vibe in there. Everybody's super friendly. Service is great. Uh, you can try their vast menu, and it is it is a good, good menu selection of food. Head on out to Cafe T. We're also sponsored by K. Robert from Remax Gold, one of the best real estate agents in the city. Uh, TJ, it's trial by fire because TJ has, has used her to move him and Laura into uh, uh, their their new home, their humble abode these days. Uh, and Kay Roberts was fantastic for them. So give Kay Roberts a call at Remax Gold. We're also brought to you by St. Louis Distillery, STL Distillery in St. Charles. You can pick up a bottle of their brew vodka, $19.99, distilled from craft beer, or pick up a bottle of their Cardinal Sin Vodka. Vodka, always a good gift 
for the holiday season. Lastly, we're brought to you by Family Finance Mortgage. Sarah Barron can help you refi on your mortgage or help you get started with one. Give Sarah Barron a call at 314-537-1282. Again, Sarah Barron, Family Finance Mortgage. That's 314-537-1282. Let's get into the show. Okay, first up, I want to talk about Aaron Rodgers and what seems to be the issue with this Packers offense that has looked inconsistent throughout the year. I watch every snap that the Packers play, uh, have for years and years now. I've been a fan basically all my life. And so I've watched basically every snap of Aaron's career. And this season, he has, and it's not the first year he's done this, but you kind of had to take everything with a grain of salt the last two years because he's been injured. I mean, he gets injured in the in Khalil Mack's first game with the Bears. I think that was, was that a Thursday night game or was it Sunday night? Uh, it, in the game, he ended up coming back in the second half and coming back on the Bears. Historic chapter of his career. But then he was never really healthy. He was never really right, had the knee issue and lost a lot of his mobility, so he was kind of playing the rest of that year with one hand tied behind his back. The year before that, he gets dead fished by Anthony Barr, breaks the collarbone, season goes down the tubes, comes back for the Panthers game, they lose that, then I think he shuts it down. So we really haven't seen a healthy Aaron Rodgers since the 2016 season, which was the last time they made the playoffs, and they made a run as a wild card team, I believe. Maybe I'm incorrect on that. They may have won the division. But anyways, they made it all the way to the NFC Championship where uh, their defense, I mean, it just didn't hold up. Uh, it got smoked by Matt Ryan and the Falcons. Should have won the Super Bowl that year, the Falcons. That was a great team. That was the 28-3 year. And so since then, he hasn't looked the same. Well, so now he he's healthy, right? Those excuses are gone. He's older, but he's still kind of on the edge of his prime, especially when you see guys like Drew Brees and Tom Brady doing it at age 40. Aaron Rodgers certainly still has the physical ability to do it. And and here's the thing is like, he's maybe a little less mobile than he he was in the past. You know, he can't burn you for these huge 20-yard gains. He's not juking guys out at the goal line like he used to, but he still has that mobility to escape the pocket, elude defenders, and buy time to make a play downfield for his guys. I mean, it it used to be every Sunday with Randall Cobb and Jordy Nelson. Those guys just knew what to do. Well, it's a new offense. This is the new age, and I think he's had trouble adjusting to that. They play in a system, and so Matt LaFleur was under McVay with the Rams and then was the OC of the Titans last year, so he was billed as a McVay guy. But he's much more like Kyle Shanahan in his practices and philosophies. He runs basically the same offense as Kyle Shanahan that is predicated on running the football, the zone running scheme, and running the passing game off of that. So, and this is where this is where Kyle and Jimmy, I think, have a little bit of tension in their relationship in San Francisco because Jimmy's a playmaker. So is Aaron. And in that offense, it is meant, you are meant to play within the offense. The offense doesn't revolve around you. You are meant to play within the offense. And one thing I think LaFleur has done a pretty good job of, because it's not an easy thing to do, is merge his offense with Aaron Rodgers' skill set. Because they are two competing philosophies. And you have to find a middle ground where that works. 
And I think that they've struggled at times, and that's when you see the offense get ugly. But I think he's done a pretty good job, all said, of finding that middle ground. And he said in press conferences before, because that was that came up. That was a big question. You know, this you kind of run an, an offensive zone running scheme. Aaron Rodgers is a freelancing uh, a quarterback that likes to get out of the pocket, extend plays. It's not the play called in the huddle. But the play when the protection breaks down is where he has his success. How do you mitigate that? That was Those were the questions asked to LaFleur when he took the job. And he said, listen, guys, I'm not bringing over the Titans offense. This isn't McVay's offense. This isn't Shanahan's offense. I'm creating the Green Bay Packers offense. And so that is what we've seen this year. And it's tough to criticize the guy with his... As tough as they've looked at times, and they've got their ass kicked at points, they're middle of the pack when it comes to offensive statistics, but they've used the running back better than I've seen pretty much in my life in in Green Bay. They have a better defense pretty much than I've ever seen, the best defense pretty much that I've ever seen in my life, aside from the Super Bowl team when they had uh, Woodson and uh, my man, Peppers, uh, rushing off the edge. That defense rivaled it, but this has been the most balanced team I've ever seen in Green Bay. So the question is, why does Rodgers look off? And I tried to kind of look into that, and here's one thing I've noticed. Aaron is a home run hitter. Aaron is a guy that likes to hold the football. That's evidence. You can go look that up. That's a PFF stat. Uh, the, The time from when the ball is snapped to when he throws it, he holds it more than anybody in football. He really likes to wait for the play to develop, and it is hurting him this year because the offense is different. It's meant for him to play within the offense. It's meant for him to get these balls out quicker, and when he holds the ball, then it makes then the narrative has become, well, the wideouts aren't getting open. The wideouts aren't getting open. We don't have any weapons, especially when Devontae Adams went down. All I heard was, we don't have any weapons. We don't have any weapons, which is true. I mean, to to an extent, beyond Devontae, they have nobody in the passing game. Jimmy Graham is awful, awful. When his contract ends this year, I'd be surprised if he gets an offer from somebody else. That's how bad he is. He's he's a minus when he's on the field, a, a minus. Bob Tanyan, his backup, Mercedes Lewis, or the kid they drafted out of A&M, Jay Sternberger, all of them, way better than, than Jimmy Graham at this stage in his career. So beyond Devontae, they don't have anybody, but if you, if you look at the film and you watch the games, and this is one thing I noticed, and it's not something I could pick up on the broadcast view, but it was something I noticed from the All-22 tape and from the reporters I follow where they have you know the, the skybox view of, of the game, Rodgers, these guys are open. Like, LaFleur is designing them and scheming them open, and Rodgers holds the ball. He's not throwing it. He'll look at Devontae open on the hitch route, but he doesn't want to settle for the 10-yard hitch route. He doesn't want to settle for the 15-yard dig over the field. The guy's playing hero ball a little bit, and and it's it's been frustrating to watch as a Packers fan, and people are starting to notice, I think, a little bit. And when you watch the Packers, because they're going to be in the playoffs, they're going to win the division unless they stub their toe against the Lions. Even if they lose against the Vikings, they're still going to win the division by virtue of, I think, uh, not common opponents, but better division record. Um, Because they're undefeated in the division right now. So when you sit down and watch this team next, look at it. And when they show the replays, look and see if the receivers are actually covered up or if they're kind of streaking down the field, or if there's a space where 
Rodgers could throw it, but he decides not to. He does not play within the rhythm of the offense right now, and it's really hurting the productivity of the offense. Now, what's weird is he's not doing this all the time. Sometimes he is playing within the rhythm of the offense and getting the ball out on time and taking his his underneath throws and taking his intermediate throws. I've also heard it construed as Rodgers has become a very conservative guy. Like, he's become uber conservative. I think he's got... Uh, Man, 17 touchdowns like bet- between now and his last interception or something like that. He has thrown he's become incredibly efficient as a quarterback. This was talked about last season with all the throwaways. He's just throwing the ball away, throwing the ball away, throwing the ball away. And and that was more of a product of I think really the team was incredibly shitty. But he's getting better protection this year. The line's been much better. He's getting more from the run game. Devontae and the receivers I mean, yeah, I'd like to have somebody better across from Devontae. They're not that bad. They're not as bad as what what it's being made out to be. Jake Crumoreau, a Division three guy, love him to death, played against him uh, at UW-Whitewater. He's fine. He's going to get more playing time because he is actually pretty good. Marquez Valdez-Scantling knocks the top off of the defense. Geronimo Allison's your possession receiver, your third guy. Uh, then they have Alan Lazard out of Iowa State who's come on. Like, it's it's not that bad. So, that's one thing that'll be interesting to, to watch as it goes on. Because it will end up being the Packers' downfall if he can't rectify that and change his game a little bit. He has to stop trying to score touchdowns on every play. Because I know that everybody's saying he's uber conservative. I actually think it's the opposite. I think he's refusing to settle for what the system or the initial play call is. I think he's refusing to settle for those slant routes, the dig route, the hitch route. I think he's wanting to create a bigger play off the scramble. And I think that's where he's getting into trouble and he's getting sacked. Also, part of it is, I mean, they have had some shitty play designs. They have. Uh, I, they, I saw them run on first down a max protect one-man route with Devontae Adams running a deep over. He was triple covered and Rodgers still got sacked. It was a one-man route. One guy in the route. It just blows my mind. I don't know how you, how, why you do that. It's a shot play, obviously, but one one guy. One guy in the route. It blows my mind. So he's going to have to figure that out, or the Packers are just simply going to get bounced, and, and that's just the way it is. So it, it, it's just interesting to watch develop. It's not. I don't think Rodgers sucks. I, somebody told me today that they think Kirk Cousins is the best uh, quarterback in the division now. That's jumping the shark. It's crazy. Rodgers is still still the best in the division. He's still making elite throws left and right, but it is just a two competing philosophies right now. And they found the middle ground most times, but they aren't perfect yet. And they're going to have to get there if they want to win in a talented NFC. Okay, so we covered this a little bit on Sunday, and we dove we dove into it in. in a decent amount of detail, so I'm going to be quick with with this segment, but the Patriots taping the Bengals has been one of the bigger NFL stories this year, and so I'd be remiss if we didn't if we didn't talk about it on the midweek show. Basically, the Cliff Notes version, for those of you that didn't catch the Sunday show or still don't really understand what's going on, the Patriots had a supposedly independently contracted employee uh, doing a piece for uh, the Patriots media called Do Your Job, where they cover different members of the, of the New England Patriots organization. That week, they were covering the advanced scout, which uh, advanced scouting is normal in the NFL. Every team does it. 
where they were covering basically his job, what he does. So they were at the uh, Bengals-Browns game. They had permission from the Browns to be there. However, forgot or didn't on purpose get permission from the Bengals to be there. Basically what happened was, and there's been video released now, a uh, guy was filming the sideline and uh, film in the Bengals security guys caught this. They see this camera running. And so when the Patriots guy employee comes back from the bathroom, there's two NFL guys, a Bengals security person there. And if you watch the video, you can go find it on Twitter or YouTube or if you've watched SportsCenter. The Patriots guy sounds guilty as hell. It's the shadiest. It's the shadiest shit I've ever heard. He sounds so guilty. <laughs> I mean, he's like, "Oh, well, we can just delete it. I, there's no way I can get the footage back. Like, I'll just delete it. I don't even have a computer here. Like, I can't. I can't take that." And they're like, "What? You said this in the in the Bengal security guy's like? <laughs> so you said this was for your advanced scout? There's not a single." There's, there's none of your advanced scout on this, which I think is a little, like, it misses the point a little bit because I think what was ha- what had happened, and here's a reason for this potentially, is that they probably sat down with the advanced scout the night before and interviewed him, got the information they needed, and needed and wanted B-roll to cover up uh, his interview or what he was saying. They wanted footage of the sideline showing, I guess, what the advanced scout was looking at so they could better illustrate what his job is on game day. That seems above board. But here's the problem. Whether it was B-roll or not, it's illegal to do. You can't film the sideline of, of an NFL team. You can't do it, especially if you didn't get permission. And what's hilarious about this is it goes back to an old Belichick quote. He said, this is the quote, you either didn't know or you didn't care to know. Either way, it's a problem. So the ignorance excuse doesn't work in this case, and it would be different, and and Patriots fans might hate hearing this, it would be different if it was another team, it would be, but history has to matter. The fact that you got caught doing shady shit uh, uh, all those years ago with Spygate, and now the Deflategate, Bill doesn't mind pushing the envelope, Bill doesn't mind cheating a little bit, (laughs) That, that much has been clear, and I'm as big a Belichick guy as you will find. But uh, that cannot be argued. He has been caught by the NFL twice. This would be the third time. If it finds if they find out that they were doing something malicious to gain an unfair competitive advantage against the Bengals, <laughs> that's just the third time they've been caught. So uh, if, you, if you don't think for a second that they've had about probably five or six illegal scandals that they've had going on in the building for every one that they've been caught with, uh, you're, I, I want what you're smoking. Because that for sure is is going on and that happens and also don't be ignorant to think that the Patriots are the only ones that have ever cheated that's not true probably a lot of NFL teams have pushed the envelope over the years it's just that the Patriots have gotten caught the Patriots have literally gotten caught doing things with video cameras that they maybe shouldn't be doing and so the fact that a a Patriots videotape of the opposing team sideline shows up and then you get the video of this this independently contracted employee with the Boston accent. It sounds just dumb as fuck, by the way. That, that was one thing I saw on Twitter. Like, how did how the hell did the Patriots hi- like hire this guy? <laughs> uh, I mean, like, how did he get a job with job with them? Because <laughs> he sounds like an absolute goof in the video. But uh, it does not look good. The optics on it are not great. 
I do happen to think that it was kind of the B-roll thing, but I also, I come down on it with, I, I don't think that necessarily there was anything done with mal- malcontent, uh, because like I said on Sunday, usually they're pretty tight-lipped when this when shit starts to hit the fan. Uh, you didn't really hear many comments made when the craft thing was going on earlier this year. Didn't hear many comments made from Belichick with Spygate or Deflategate. I mean, I think Tom was more visible in the Deflategate because obviously that was that was him. His character was being assassinated, so obviously he was a little bit more vocal. But like, typically they don't speak much. They'll just keep their mouth shut. You know, like I'm not gonna give you anything incriminating. But Belichick was like, went kind of went out of his way to make a statement on this pretty much at the day after all this came out. Which I kind of thought, like, okay, like, he's not trying, this isn't a cheating thing. He would not have, he would not have come out and flatly denied it if he knew that A, they they got caught cheating, and B, that the NFL had the fucking tape that could ruin him and make him look like a complete asshole in a month or two. So, I don't, I, I don't think that there was malicious intent here. I do, however, think that they still need to be punished to some degree. Like, it's, it's illegal. You can't, you just can't do it. Uh, you just can't do it. And, and with the history here, you, there there has to be accountability. It's like Bill says. You either didn't know or you didn't care to know. It, it's it's a problem regardless. So uh, I'm sure that the Patriot, the guy is going to be history here in the league with the Patriots for sure. What was interesting about that is it's that apparently they had suspended the the worker in, in quotes. It was like, well, I thought he was an independent contractor, so I don't know how you suspend it, 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 suspend him if he's not an actual employee. But regardless, that's kind of where the story's at on this. I know that the NFL uh, wants to take swift action. They want this to be over. I don't think they want this to be a lingering thing. Like, Deflategate was like, what, almost a two-year saga that played out. Spygate was obviously a much bigger deal and it took a long time to bear itself out as well. I think that uh, we're going to have a resolution to this before playoff time. And uh, at the end of the day, I do think, I, I don't think Bill was trying to cheat uh, and grab signals or anything like that. Uh, I don't think that was what was happening. Regardless, stupid, can't have it, can't can't make that mistake. Just can't, especially not, if, especially not in New England. You can't make that mistake. Of all 32 franchises, you better, if you're pointing a camera... At, uh, at anything NFL, wearing a Patriots logo uh, on your clothing, you better be above board and have signed, written documentation that you're allowed to do it. <laughs> so I, I think that part of it is just what's inexcusable about it. Okay, let's talk about Joe Burrow, Joey Heisman. Uh, man, love this kid. It's hard not to root for Joe Burrow especially this year and in, in this LSU Tigers team. I really hope that they can uh, win it all because that that sure would be something. They've had quite a season under Coach O. Really likable team, different, knocked off Bama, kicked the shit out of Saban. They are undefeated. They, they deserve everything that's come their way this year. But I want to talk about Joe Burrow, the prospect, and the rest of these quarterback prospects. We'll hit on mainly just the guys that have a shot to go in, in the first round. And I think that uh, right now there's four guys that come to mind that have a potential to get taken on uh, Thursday night in that first 32 picks. I think it's maybe more likely that three of them get selected, but uh, we'll see. 
and it all depends on who comes out. But first off, I want to talk about Joe Burrow as the prospect, and this is what I've I have heard about him, and this is what I've deduced uh, myself from watching them play. LSU was one of my five Power Five conference teams that I had based on my preference list for PFF. So I did. I was lucky enough to do four LSU games this year. So I got to watch them play a ton. And one thing that jumps off the page is uh, his charisma and his swag and leadership out there. Guy's not afraid, and he won't be afraid at the next level, which is something that is it's it's important. I mean, you have to have confidence in yourself to fit these balls into tight windows, to not get down on yourself when you throw an interception, to not be timid. You can't play timid in the NFL. Uh, and there's a lot of guys that play timid in the NFL at the quarterback position. That's not going to be a problem for Joe Burrow. He has prototypical size and in, in, in strength. I heard in an interview he's hoping to run 4-6 at the combine, which would be pretty good for him. Uh, I don't know if he actually accomplishes that. We'll just have to wait and see. But that would be that would be really, really impressive. That That was as fast as I ever ran in the 40-yard dash, and that, that's that's pretty freaking fast. I mean, you'll see, uh, humble brag there, but uh, <laughs> you'll see, uh, I, I mean that more as, uh, you'll see running backs run 4-6. You'll see, you'll see, you know, guys at skill positions run run, run 4-6. So uh, if he if he could get his time beneath like 4-8, that would be, that would be pretty impressive. Uh, in regards to his style of play, and this is going to come off as an insult, and I don't, intended to be. I think that this gets a bad rap. I think he is a game manager style quarterback. I think that uh, he plays well. He will not lose you football games. He's not the Jameis Winston type that'll throw, <laughs> you know, uh, five touchdowns, three picks in a game. That's not, that is not Joe Burrow. Uh, he is going to efficiently manage possessions. He will keep you in the ball game. He'll make smart decisions. What he lacks a little bit as a quarterback prospect is arm strength. He does not have the arm talent of a Carson Wentz. Probably doesn't even have the arm talent of a Jared Goff. That is where I think he'll get nitpicked a little bit. uh, Because he has the size, he has everything else. Seems like a great human being. Seems like a hard worker. Gets beat out by Dwayne Haskins at OSU. No problem. I'll just go transfer to to a better school and be the starter there. And uh, take my team undefeated to a number one ranking and a number one seed in the college football playoffs while my old team sits at, uh, sits at number, sits behind me. Uh, and he may get a shot to beat his old, his old school, the Ohio State. But, uh, I love him as a guy. I think he's going to have some success in the league. What worries me is that he's almost certainly going to be picked by the Bengals in his home state of Ohio. And, it, it, I feel like he's not even going to get a fair shake. Uh, the track record of quarterbacks, if you haven't checked it, it's its not great. It's not ideal for these guys. People love to hate on the red rifle Andy Dalton, but go look at his stats. They're not that bad. He had some really good years in Cincinnati under, under Marvin Lewis. He's not a scrub, but he gets made out to be because he plays for a scrub franchise. Even Carson Palmer, he'll tell you the horror stories of, of Cincinnati and how different it was even when he got to Arizona. It's like, guy got to Arizona, and it's like, <laughs> Arizona is is by no means like the most competent franchise in the world. And he said that was worlds better than what he was dealing with in Cincinnati. Cincinnati is kind of a third world football team, 
Uh, especially now that Marvin's gone. I mean, say what you want about Marvin as a coach. I lambasted him at every turn uh, because I didn't think he was good. But one thing I will say for Marvin is he turned the franchise around. He was an adult in the locker room. He ran the franchise, which is something that they've never had there before because their ownership is terrible, their front office is terrible, and that's what I worry about with Joe Burrow going there. Now, I think that he is like a similar style quarterback to Andy Dalton. I ultimately think that he's a better talent than Andy Dalton because he may lack a little arm talent, but I don't think that's essential to succeed in the NFL. I think accuracy, leadership, uh, and decision-making are far more important, and he has all of those for the most part. So I think he has the tools in the bag to be a pretty successful NFL guy. I really like him in college. I also think he's a tough eval because guys are just flying open all over the place in that in that offense, and it's just it's not going to look like that in the NFL. It's just not, especially if he goes to Cincinnati. He's going to be facing the Ravens defense twice a year, the Pittsburgh defense twice a year, which looks like it's going to be an absolute terror uh, with the young players they've built over there, Devin Bush, Minka Fitzpatrick. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's so that's that part of it is a tough eval, but you just have to take the the intangibles of his game, the style of his game, and understand what you're drafting. And ultimately, this is where a lot of NFL franchises fail. Cater to what he's good at. He is a game-managing style quarterback, so give him a running game. Build the offensive line so that he can hand it off to Joe Mixon, who's also really damn talented, and so that way you can get something going on the ground. Get yourself a defense that isn't bottom of the barrel so he can settle for a field goal or two. Just don't put it all on the guy. Play to his style. Call your offense to his style. Get him going off play action. If he's more comfortable running certain stuff, like that's where NFL franchises fail with these quarterbacks. And if they build correctly around Joe Burrow, I think he'll be, I think he'll be a success in the league. I, I really do like the guy uh, as a college player, and I really like him as a prospect too. I know the Heisman winning the Heisman is kind of a curse for your professional career, but I really do like him. Uh, the next guy right behind him, the consensus number two now that Tua has gotten hurt, is Justin Herbert. Uh, out of Oregon. And this is a guy that seems to be pretty polarizing. Some people are really high on him. Some people don't think he's all that good. He's been a name to watch now for a couple of seasons. And he kind of has a Sam Darnold vibe to me where uh, you're drafting a lot of potential. You're drafting a lot of arm talent. He's a guy that does have a ton of arm talent. But you haven't really quite seen it on the field you know you see it in flashes you see him play well at points but he doesn't put the team on his back and carry it like you would think someone of his talent level would that is at least my evaluation of Sam Darnold I really liked him as a prospect I loved the potential but it it was like I the, the, the thing I was unsure about with Sam at USC and ultimately, I got over it because I, I and I still think he's he's going to be a successful quarterback. He I think he's show he's starting to show it a little bit here. It's been the same thing in the pros. He he shows you it in bursts, but he doesn't quite show you enough to make you feel comfortable to where you could say, okay, I know he's got the talent, and I've also seen him use it successfully. I feel like that's kind of where we're at with with Justin Herbert. I know he has the talent. I've seen it in spurts, but I haven't seen the consistency or the success offensively that I would have liked to 
if I'm taking the guy number one overall to basically be the face of my franchise. So Justin Herbert worries me a little bit more than Joe Burrow because I feel like he's more of a high-ceiling, lower-floor guy, whereas Joe Burrow, I think, has a much smaller bust rate, bust potential would be a more accurate way to say that than Justin Herbert does. Joe Burrow, I think, has a pretty high floor as an NFL prospect, whereas I could see Herbert kind of washing out pretty quick. The other thing is mental capacity, Uh, and that's what I say about decision-making and leadership. I think Joe Burrow will be able to process things quickly enough at the NFL level to be successful. That's one thing with Herbert, and it was the same thing with Haskins last year, and we've seen it this year with Haskins. I think he might be a slow processor in the NFL, Herbert. Uh, I I wonder how quickly he'll be able to execute the offense initially and if he'll need some time to develop maybe as a backup. And he's not going to have that luxury anymore because the way that it's structured, the way he'll likely be drafted, he's going to be expected to come in and, and be successful right away for this franchise. And so that's what worries me about Herbert. The other guy... And I love this guy. He's my favorite favorite quarterback in the draft. Tua Tagovailoa. Now, the injury, the, the injury concern is really the only thing with him because he's got a lights-out rocket for an arm. He's left-handed, which I think maybe would turn some teams off. I love it. I think it's going to fuck with defenses. It's going to be completely backwards to what you've seen all year long. And... When's the, the last successful lefty we saw in the NFL was Mike Vick, who was more of a runner. Well, Tua Tagovailoa, while he can uh, create space in the pocket, he's a pocket-passing quarterback. Now, the thing with Tua is he, he's a little on the small side, and he's got this hip injury. He's got the Bo Jackson hip injury. Well, I think with the technology, although it was the same injury as Bo Jackson, I have heard he's going to be fine. He's going to be he's gonna be bounce back from it, whereas Bo destroyed his hip like did irreparable damage to his hip because of the technology they just didn't know how to fix it and once he did the damage then thereafter the injury he was screwed whereas Tagovailoa injures the hip immediately goes to the hospital has surgery has not been on it since has all the correct medicine and the best doctors in the country helping rehab him and get him ready for the NFL I think there's an outside chance he comes back to Alabama and because of the injury history, because of the draft position, he's certainly not going to be the top quarterback off the board. There were a lot of quarterbacks drafted last year and the year prior, whereas I think that teams are will be more strict, I guess, in their grading of the quarterbacks. I think that he could be a guy that tumbles a little bit. I also think that he could benefit from another year of production in college. Now, the problem is then you're competing with Trevor Lawrence uh, for draft position next year. And Trevor Lawrence, I got news for you. If you don't watch a lot of college football, he's going to be the number one pick next year. I mean, short of this guy getting hit by a bus, Trevor Lawrence will be the number one overall pick in the 2021 draft. He's incredible. I would have picked him number one overall last year as a true freshman. He's that good. He, He is a transcendent talent and I have no problem getting up on this hill way in advance and you can crush me for it if I'm wrong but he is gonna be he is Carson Wentz level he is Patty Mahomes level this guy is special he is going to be a great one as long as he can keep his head on his shoulders and work hard because he has everything else he's exceptional All you got to do is turn on Clemson and turn him on in the playoffs when he plays Ohio State this year. He struggled a little bit with his numbers in the beginning, but they basically still blow out everybody they play. 
He's throwing touchdowns left and right. I mean, the guy looks like a young Aaron Rodgers in college. He's incredible. But uh, So that's the problem with Tua going back for a year. I just don't think it would be the worst thing in the world for him to return to school to make sure he's fully over the injury. He can prove that to NFL clubs. And in addition, mature a year, get another year of, of college football playing experience. Um, whereas if he goes to the NFL... He may have to rush back from the injury if, if the team wants him to start right away. Now, he could be in a good position where uh, he can kind of sit for a little bit. He can They can kind of say, you know, he's not over his hip. He's not over his hip. They can kind of redshirt him a year, which I think is like one of the best practices you can have as an NFL franchise. Like, when's the last time somebody redshirted for a year as like a highly touted first-round quarterback and sucked? Like, the two recent memories I have of that are Mahomes and Rodgers, and they're both going to be Hall of Famers. Maybe a little early to say with Mahomes, but, like, we all see it. He's, he just got to stay healthy. He'll be a Hall of Famer. Like, I don't think that would be the worst thing in the world for Tua. I don't think that would be the worst thing in the world for any of these guys. But lastly, and this is the guy I'm lowest on, is Jake Fromm. I think he'll be a fringe first-round prospect. Uh, at the end of the day, I think he is a game manager. I think he's more limited. I think his decision-making is subpar at times. I Now, this is going to sound kind of... It's going to sound like I'm being a hard ass or being very hard on him. I've, I've watched kind of the, I watched like the high school documentary on him and I've seen, uh, you know, interviews. Obviously these guys are in the public eye. I don't like just genuinely gel with him as a dude as much as I like Joe Burrow. Like Joe Burrow is a good dude. Like Jake Fromm, I kind of wonder about him a little bit and I don't think he's a bad guy. I don't think he's like, you know, going to screw up or end up in prison or something like that. That's not what I'm saying at all. I just wonder if he has the demeanor to be, you know, a franchise quarterback in the NFL. Cause let's just let's just say it. You got to be a special sob. Like you see that video viral of Drew Brees doing mental reps forty minutes after a walkthrough day before the Monday night game. Like that's what it takes. That's what it takes to be a successful starting QB in the NFL. And not everybody can do that. I don't know if I could do that. Like it, it takes a special mindset and a special human. And so it's not necessarily a knock on him. I just kind of wonder about that. And that's just and that's just speculation from afar. I just I don't think he I think he came in as this true freshman, beat beat out all these guys, beat out Justin Fields, and everybody's like, "Oh, he's a, he's only a true freshman. He's he's only a freshman." Jake from State from took him to the college football playoff where Tua beat him a couple of seasons ago and it was like, watch out, this guy's going to be a name to watch for. He's a highly, highly touted recruit. But I feel like he hasn't really improved as much as you would think from his freshman year to now. I feel like he's pretty much the same guy he was then, which was a game-managing quarterback that had the ability to make good throws, but also made some poor decisions, also just had some head-scratcher moments at times, also had a lot around him. I mean, had had everything around him. When, when He has had a first-round running back in his backfield like every year he's been there. He's got DeAndre Swift now before he had Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. And he's got wide receivers all the, all over the place too. Had Isaiah Wynn at left tackle a couple seasons ago. Like they got dudes everywhere. And you can say the same about Joe Burrow. You can say the same thing about him. But the thing is, is they have dudes everywhere. And I feel like a lot of the times it's not Jake necessarily that's elevating the team. It's the team playing well, the team forcing turnovers, the team making good runs, guys running wide open because they got the run game going and they can run play action off of it. 
he's much more of a pro style quarterback and he is a game manager i just think he's he's more limited than the other four guys so that's kind of our that's kind of our deep dive i like joe burrow i like tua on herbert and i don't really like jake Fromm that much in summary Well, story this week, the Lions are running it back, man. They're giving Patricia another year. And I think, I mean, you guys know how I feel about Patricia. We don't need to go into this huge, huge bash Patricia spree. Just cover it real quick from an aggregate standpoint. They're giving Bob Quinn, the GM, another year. They're giving Patricia another year. Uh, Martha Ford has said she wants to see them be competitive, be in, in competition for the playoffs and she said that means playing meaningful games in December that's what she said which I think is a fair bar I mean I think it'd be unfair to say you know you you win the division or you're gone you know the last time the Lions won the NFC North had a division title I wasn't alive I did not exist the last time the Lions won the division that's how sad that franchise has been and it's 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 really is kind of a shame and I'm actually, I, I got to give Lions fans some props, man, because they are one of the most long-suffering franchises. They're one of the most long-suffering fan bases in American sports history, but you don't hear much out of them. You don't hear much bitching out of them. You, you hear the Browns fans constantly. You hear the Raiders fans constantly. Oh, our team sucks, our team sucks, our team sucks. Sell the team, sell the team. But it's like these fan bases, like the Washington Redskins since Snyder bought the team. The Detroit Lions, like, forever. <laughs> They're always terrible. Every year. <laughs> Every year. They, they've never, they just, the Lions have literally never had much success. They, they're, they're most famous for having two Hall of Fame talents in Calvin Johnson and Barry Sanders retire early because mentally they're like, I just, I just can't play for this. I can't play for this team anymore. I just can't play for this team anymore. So I got to give it to Lions fans because they're finally speaking up. Like, you know what? Enough of this shit. Enough of this shit. Sell the damn team. They got they got sell the team shirts going around. I think Barstool's making some. Uh, they're calling Martha Ford uh, Marth Vader. I love it. I love it. The, the, these owners that just are in, incredibly incompetent and run just an absolute joke of a franchise – and just sit there counting their millions every year when the league cuts them a check, basically feeding off the success of the other franchises, are a joke. And they need to leave. They need to leave. I wish there was some way for them to hold the owners accountable or for the league to vote them the F out. Because, like, the league wants the Lions to be good. Like, you don't think the league wants the Redskins to be good in Washington, D.C. with that market? I I wonder if they would vote Snyder out. Like, dude, you got to get rid of the team. You freaking blow. Like, how you would fire a coach or a GM. Like, the only people that aren't held accountable are the owners. And the Lions have been one of the biggest jokes of my lifetime. And so, this is what joke franchises do. They they, they could just consistently screw it up. And I think there's something to be said for consistency. Because I think the joke franchises are typically the ones that are firing people left and right. So it's like, well, this is kind of the opposite. They're taking a guy that's borderline, and they're saying, hey, we'll give you another year. Here's a realistic goal for you to achieve. Now go achieve it. And I think that's fine, but I also think it sends, in this particular case, it sends the wrong message to your fan base. It sends the wrong message to your fan base. Like, Patricia's awful. It's not going to be any better next year. 
He he's terrible. He's a train wreck as a head coach. Quinn is a train wreck as a general manager. Between the two of them, they traded away Quandre Diggs, their safety. I feel like the guy is running back a pick every Sunday for the Seahawks. He's a team captain the year before. Go look at Pro Football Focus's grades for the guy. Even if you don't know who he is, doesn't mean he's good. Doesn't mean he's not good. Quandre Diggs, he's he's great. Great safety. They broke him off with an extension the year before. So Bob Quinn liked the guy enough to break him off with a huge extension and then turns around and gave him away for nothing this year. Like, there is incompetence in that building. And I think, like, the, the, the tension is just so high for the Lions. Like, Martha, send these guys packing. Send these guys a packing. Show your fan base that you care about winning. Show your fan base that you care. Show your fan base that you want to win. Like, it's Jim Caldwell for all these years. And Jim Schwartz for all these years. And now it's it's Matt Patricia. Like, can you get an adult in the room? Can you hire a coach? Like, can you just get the fan base a coach that actually at least knows what the hell he's doing? I mean, it's just the most basic shit that they struggle with. And so them running it, them deciding, well, we're just going to run it back for another year. Stafford got hurt. That's our excuse. You know, we think we can compete. Like, their roster is not on the same level with the other teams in the division. Like, the Bears roster compared to the Lions blows them out of the water. In fact, the 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 roster they're most comparable with is the Green Bay Packers. And the Green Bay Packers are 11-3 and right now. Like, that, that is where we're at with the Lions as a franchise. And I don't know if TJ is going to listen to this and get pissed, or I don't know if he's going he's to be listening to this clapping me on. Because... He's got he's frustrated too. They're they're never competitive it seems like. Or when they are competitive, they'll you know they got to the playoffs that one year, but you knew they were going to get their ass kicked by Seattle that first game. You knew they didn't have a shot. Like they they haven't won the division since I've been alive. And running it the, the announcement of them running it back and I love that the Lions fans got so pissed off about that because you should be Hold hold your franchise to a higher standard, and Lions fans are doing that, and I appreciate it. Like, this shit's unacceptable. What Patricia and Bob Quinn have done is unacceptable. You're not doing your job. You're not doing your job. Patricia's been brought in here because he's some great defensive guy. Their defense gets walked on, and I know you're starting David Blau, and I know you're starting Jeff Driscoll at quarterback in some of these games, but that it's not the losses it's how they're losing these games and how the franchise has been since I've been alive. It goes way deeper than that. So props to Lions fans. We'll see. I guess another year of this shit for Patricia and Quinn and, and, for, and for the Lions fans. I, I guarantee you, guarantee you, we're going to be sitting here having the same discussion next year. Well, guess they didn't get it done. Wonder if they'll get fired. <laughs> and maybe they get fired, maybe they don't. But I guarantee you it's not going to be... It's not going to be a division winner in 2021. I, I don't see that happening with the talent of the other three teams in the division. No way. Well, just ripped a couple of guys for their incompetence and Quinn and Patricia with the Lions and the fan base and the ownership there. So I got to even it out by just talking about the utter greatness, the excellence that is the essence of Drew Brees. And he broke another record on Monday Night Football again this past Monday. The guy's exceptional. He makes me feel like an inferior human being. 
That's how that's how incredible this guy is. He, he you look at the career arc of Drew Brees, and the reason I wanted to talk about it is because I feel like he is so underappreciated as a talent, and I understand why. Like I would not put him as with up there with the great, like the greatest. Like he's probably not like a top three guy of all time. You know, it's got to be Tom Brady and Joe Montana, one two, right? I don't even think there's much debate at this point. Like it's Tom Brady one, it's Joe Montana two. Then in some order, you got the you got the next tier of guys like Elway. You got Marino. You got some of the older guys. You got to put Favre in there. But Drew Brees is right there. I mean, he's right there. This guy, if you look at the course of his career, is not a good athlete. Is not tall. Does not have the arm talent like we were talking about with the quarterback prospects. But yet has become the very best at the top of his field at what he does. Right up there with Tom Brady. Had Tom Brady not existed, this we'd be talking about Drew Brees as one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. Is he the greatest quarterback ever? That's what we'd be talking about Drew Brees like. And the only reason we don't is because, unfortunately for Drew... Tom Brady played in the same era as him. But I think at this point, it's even fair to have the conversation. Like, he's breaking all of Manning's records. And, like, how at this, especially if he wins another ring. Like, how could you say, how, I, I, I feel like Drew's better, has a, had a better career than Manning. I don't, I don't even think that's crazy to say anymore. Like, he's breaking all his records. He, 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 what he's done there, it's so impressive. And I'm not trying to diminish Peyton, the sheriff. That guy is a freaking goat in his own right with the way he prepares. I mean, it, and that's what's tough when you get into these discussions because ultimately you almost have to make an argument against one of the guys to therefore vault the guy you think is better ahead. But I, I think there's a legitimate case for Drew to be named, I mean, right behind Brady in Montana. Like, he's he is right there in the conversation with Elway, Elway Marino, Favre, Manning, Rodgers. Like, he is right there. And, in fact, he, it's not even arguable he's better than Rodgers. Has had a way better career than Rodgers. Like, I'm sorry. I, I don't even think that's arguable at this point. Rodgers isn't even going to come close to touching some of his records that he's setting right now. It, it's ridiculous what he's been able to do. He comes from a school in Purdue that is largely a joke. Took them to the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl. Purdue, the Boilermakers, were in the Rose Bowl with him. And if you look at it since, kind of a blip. Like, they were there because of Drew Brees. He, get, he goes to the NFL. Gets dra- he gets uh, spends some time with the Chargers. They draft Phillip Rivers, who they ultimately deemed was a better prospect. And you know I really don't crush the Chargers for that move. I mean, if you think about it at the time, I mean, Phil's a borderline Hall of Famer in his own right. Like, apples to apples. To apples though. Like, would you rather have Drew Brees? Sure. But are you really sad that that disappointed that you got Phil? Not really. I mean, Phil's a great quarterback, or had a great career. Not so great these days. But uh, he then has the shoulder injury, goes to Miami. They fail him. They fail his physical. He's about to be donezo before his career even gets started. The Saints pass his physical. They get Sean Payton, and the rest is history. He beats the Colts in that Super Bowl, the historic onside kick. He is, I mean, it feels like he is in these like 40, 50 point games at least a couple times every season. I mean, does not have a single bad season on his resume. 
if you go look at the stats, like the model of consistency and just the sheer numbers he's put up throughout his career, it's insane. It's mind-boggling when you really sit down and think about it and look at it. In the in the video that went viral about Reggie Bush talking about uh, him doing his mental reps, going through the walkthrough before the Monday night game, again, I, this is the second time I brought it up. If you haven't gone and seen that on social media, go look at it. It just it just really illustrates what it takes to succeed in the in the hard work that you have to put in when nobody's watching. Like just Drew Brees wakes up in the morning and he pisses excellence and shits out greatness. Like the guy is incredible. He really makes me feel inferior because of how great he is. Because he accomplished it without any innate traits that he was born with. It was through sheer hard work determination and badassery that drew Brees is where he is drew Brees is not a runner he cannot extend the play he's kind of a statue in the pocket when you think about it he's trying to look over linemen twice his size he is trying to swing the ball around the arms of defensive linemen trying to bat down his pass twice his size he is throwing absolute darts to guys all over the field reading defenses and making the correct read and the correct throw and executing that throw to a T without the arm talent of an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady or a Brett Favre. Does not have that arm talent. Straight up, it's not a physical gift to his. He does not have a Josh Allen arm. But he just sits there and throws darts. And it's a mindset and it's a lifestyle for him. And... It's just so incredible to watch him. And, and I just wanted to, to, to talk about him and how great he's been because, I mean, I think we forget, like, he's 42. Like, he, he's 40 as well. Like, since Tom's, like, 43 and doing it, like, it's kind of diminishing Drew Brees' accomplishments. I feel like Tom Brady accomplishes something and then Drew Brees accomplishes it too. And we're like, oh, well, Tom already did that. Like, old news. And, and he doesn't get his proper due. But it's it's fucking incredible what he's accomplished. If Tom hadn't come along before him, it would be like, Breeze is doing unprecedented things at his age. <laughs> but Tom just did it two years ago, so it doesn't get talked about that way. And I just think it should. Like, like Drew is just so incredible. It's going to be a sad day when uh, Drew Breeze retires. And I really hope, I mean, if it's not the Packers winning a ring, I really hope it's Drew. I really want to see him win one. I kind of wanted to see him win one last year. Obviously, they got screwed with the P.I. call against the Rams and the NFC ship. Uh, or else they, they certainly, I think, would have had a better shot to beat the Pats than the Rams ended up having. But, uh, yeah, if, if it's not the Packers lifting the Lombardi, I'd like for it to be Drew. Guy deserves it. All right, last segment. We don't need to spend a lot of time on this. But the Pro Bowl is an absolute joke. They released their rosters. Uh... The, just yesterday, uh, what would be Tuesday for you guys, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, and I just want to talk about some of the snubs. Uh, there's snubs all over the place, but some of the guys that come to mind. Dak Prescott, do you know he's like leading the NFL in, in passing? Crazy. Like he, he's, he's on fire this year and yet was unable to receive a nomination. Eric Kendricks didn't get nominated for the uh, Minnesota Vikings. Guy has an outside chance to, I think, be a first-team All-Pro this year and was not left off. It was not on the Pro Bowl roster. It's crazy how much of a joke the Pro Bowl is these days. There are consistently first-team All-Pros 
left off the Pro Bowl roster. You had Julian Edelman get snubbed, whereas he had way better stats than some of the other guys. And, like, these snubs are getting so ridiculous at this point, like, it's not even arguable. Like, these guys should have been in over whoever got in over them. Like, Rodgers getting in this year is such a joke. Such a joke. And and I watch every snap he plays, and I'm as big a Rodgers guy as you can find. Discount, double check. He's a bad man. But to suggest that he has had numbers that should be top three for the NFC quarterbacks this year, when you've had Russell having the season he's had, when you've had Dak had the season he's had, when you've had some of these other guys in the NFC, no way. (laughs) No way. With Drew Brees, I mean, come on. Get out of town. Uh, Some other guys, just real quickly, Justin Simmons got left off. Uh, Safety for Denver in favor of uh, Earl Thomas. And he has like twice the amount of tackles as him. More interceptions, has 14 passes defensed. He's just had a phenomenal year, but he doesn't have the name brand value. So he gets left off. Uh, The Ravens had a record-breaking amount of players that made it. Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters made the Pro Bowl. Like, I'm sorry. (laughs) That's a joke. It's a complete joke. Uh, You played on a good team. The only reason you got in. People know who Marcus Peters is. That's the only reason he got in. Like, Marcus Peters is not a good football player. <laughs> He's not. Uh, ask anybody in league circles. They they pick on him constantly. And he does make some big plays sometimes. I'll give him that. That's kind of his style. He's like a boomer bust corner. Not not exactly the style of play you want when you are the last line of defense. You don't want to be boomer bust when you play the corner position. Uh Allen Robinson got left off. He probably deserved a Pro Bowl. Was clearly the Bears' best offensive player. Maybe the best player uh, on on the team. Uh, but yeah, those were some of the some of the big ones. Like especially at the middle linebacker position in the NFC, you had Eric Kendricks and Fred Warner. The MLB for uh, Frisco didn't make it. Like Fred Warner is a complete freak. Like how oh, that's another guy. Like has an outside chance to be a first team All Pro, and it'll happen this year. It'll happen this year. There will be a there will be somebody on the All Pro team, whether it be first or second team, that did not get invited to the Pro Bowl. I'll never forget the kind of realization I had when I realized like Pro Bowl's nice, like when you retire to have like yeah, this guy's six time Pro Bowler, two team first team All Pro, one time second team All Pro, one time All Pro honorable mention, and NFL Offensive Player of the Year in this year. Like they're great accolades to have. But going to the Pro Bowl, like, has, like I realized it was like the selection process was a joke when Jameis Winston went and Marcus Mariota went. And then last year, Mitch Trubisky made the Pro Bowl, guys. Mitch Trubisky made the Pro Bowl. So take it for what it is. It, it's fine. There's a reason nobody watches the shit. It's completely worthless. It's not even good football. Pay attention to the All-Pro selections. That's what you got to listen to uh, when it comes out. Uh Oh, one other snub. I uh, and I'm sure I'm forgetting other guys too. Like I, I know, uh, I think it was John Jones, the corner for the Pats, probably should have made it. And and Aaron Jones for the for the Packers was like, how does he not get in as the running back of Green Bay? He's had a phenomenal year. Uh, but that that's I think most of the snubs. And that does it for our show. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Loaded show. I promise you guys a double episode, and we delivered. Uh, we got her done. Covered some great topics today. I will not be there in person at Cafe T. I'm going home for the holidays. No place like home for the holidays. So I'll be back in the in the land of Lincoln. But I will be all, I will be phoning in to uh, Cafe T. Last show at Cafe T. 
Then we'll be off for week 17, and we'll be doing the playoffs live from uh, the Bruise on the Balcony studios. So uh, thank you guys so much for listening, and have a blessed weekend.